Well, this morning we start a new series called Everyone Has a Story. And through the month of July, we're going to be examining four individuals who had their lives dramatically impacted by God and changed forever from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And you see, we're coming out of a series in Mark for 16 weeks where we watch the ministry of Jesus change things. In fact, change everything. But see, there's always a response to that change. And this month, the entire series is about those responses. In fact, you and I respond to Jesus. I want, to hear, I want you to hear the testimony of one of our own as you turn your eyes to the screen. This is Tyler's story. Tyler Parsons. I was born in Florida, um, 19. Religion, I always thought it was a part of my life. I always thought it was work-based related. I moved around a bunch. I moved from Florida to Utah. In Utah, I attended a private Catholic church and a private Catholic school. Religion was taught there, but I didn't pay much attention, mostly because I was distracted by the constant bullying from my peers. This lasted from third grade to seventh grade, and that shoved me into a social suppression that I would not break until my first year of college. I always thought about what other people thought of me. Um, it was hard for me to look in the mirror sometimes, and it just constant doubts and fears and running through my head, never being good enough. And that's still one of the fears that I can face today is never being good enough. We then ended up moving to Tennessee, and I started attending this church about a year and a half ago. Um, from the teachings that was taught in the youth group and attending Access Weekend, um, I realized that something was missing in my life that I never knew was missing. Since then, I've realized it's not always about me. I've realized it's about His kingdom and His glory. And I no longer care about what other people think about me. I just care about what He thinks about me and how I live my life to glorify Him. I'm thankful for this new relationship that I have. It's given me a sense of hope that I know where I'm going when I die. It's given me a sense of hope for the hard times that will come and have been already in my life, that I know I can see Him through it all and Him shaping me to be better. Isn't that so good? That's so good. Because see, when Jesus impacts our lives, when our lives intersect with Him, we can never be the same. And like, part, like Tyler said, and I want you to think on this as we get into today's story, the reality is we have to come to a place where that impact changes the way that we think. And we think more about what he cares about, what he thinks of us, than we do others. And when we do that, we'll be changed forever. You see, we are a body, but we're a body made up of individuals. Individuals who are all going to encounter Jesus. And as individual disciples, we're going to allow God to pursue us, or I hope we are. We'll allow God to pursue us, confront us, and ultimately change us, just like we heard he changed Tyler. I believe that whether Jesus meet us for the sake of eternal change, salvation, or maybe you've experienced this like I have, where Jesus meets us in the midst of even tragedy. He finds us here and carries us through. Without Jesus, our lives are empty. With him, they're full. Amen? So I want to read Zacchaeus' story. You've probably heard of Zacchaeus probably all the way back to when you were in preschool, but the reality is I hope to look at it 
from an adult spin today because there's quite an important change that takes place in Zacchaeus' story. And so in Luke 19, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he got not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this, began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up, said to the Lord, look, Lord, here now, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay them back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Now, you need to understand, first of all, the cultural setting that we're in for today's story. First of all, Jericho is a really important place historically in the lives of the Jews. Um, Jericho was the way that they would have entered the, the land of Canaan. It was the westmost city and was a border city. So, like, in the story of Joshua entering the land with the, with the Israelites after wandering the wilderness for 40 years, they went through Jericho first. Remember, he sent spies ahead of him. They were, those spies were protected by a prostitute named Rahab who would be of the lineage and line of Jesus and the first, first Gentile convert we see in Scripture. And later, in that same book of Joshua, we see the walls of Jericho come down with probably the worst, uh, you know, Worst military strategy I've ever heard of. But we saw dramatic things take place in Jericho. Same city, and it's on that west side, just close to Jerusalem, as all of Israel right now is making a pilgrimage during this time, Jesus a part of it, towards Jerusalem because it's Passover season. And they're making their way through Jericho, a border city who in the time of Zacchaeus was one of three major tax centers. Now, if you remember in Mark, we looked at how he called Levi, who becomes Matthew, and he saved Levi, calls Levi right out of the tax booth. And Levi leaves behind his tax franchise to follow Jesus and becomes Matthew. What I told you then was that the tax structure of that, that period was more like a mafia, if you will. Levi was a part of the Galilean mafia. And he had gotten a tax franchise because he was wealthy, and he, it always would go to the highest bidder. For a tax collector, what they would do is they would sell their soul to Rome for money. And they would work a contract between Rome and their own people, and be, they would get wealthy off the backs of their own people. Now, you and I, we're all familiar with fixed tax, right? Like property tax, you know. We have fixed taxes that we can't get around. Those were a part of their tax system. They also had flexible tax, which was, we're, we're also familiar with, okay? And we can change the rate depending on state you go in. You may walk in with one that has no sales tax. You may walk in with one that has a higher sales tax. They had the same thing. But see, on that flexible tax is where all of the moquez, that was the tax collector, that's the word. There was the little moquez like Levi there in the booth. And then there was the big moquez, their boss, the chief tax collector like Zacchaeus. 
And see, those people made money hand over fist on that flexible tax of the people. Because you might be passing through on a border tax and they go today to pass into this region, it's going to cost you 10% tax. Okay? But the next day they may feel a little jumpy and they may say, you know what, today it costs you 65%. Well, yesterday was 10. Today's not yesterday. You owe me 65%. And if you don't have the money to pay it, you're going to get a visit from my friends who are also working for me. And they're big. And they're going to shake you down so you can pay everything you owe me. Now, here's the thing. This, this picture, we talk a lot about how Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Even sang songs about it probably in preschool. That does have importance, but not as much importance as his stature in, in his status in society. You see, Zacchaeus, the man, was like the Don Corleone of this region. You need to understand, like he has the house on the hill. This is the godfather. Little Mochezes like Levi, they all work for him. He's making money on the commission of that fixed tax. He's making money on the commission of that flexible tax. He's making money on commission of the little Mokez. This guy's making money hand over fist. And here's the thing. You see Luke record the calling of Levi in Luke 5. We're in Luke 19 where I just read. Okay? And the same narrative happens in Luke that he dines with sinners. By the time we get to Luke 15, that's the first thing we read that Jesus spends times with the tax collectors and the sinners. By Luke 17, he heals a leper. By Luke 18, he gives a blind man sight. The reason I mention all this is because the blind to them were accursed by God, hated by God, so him to spend time with them touching these people meant like he himself is unclean. For him to touch a leper who's unclean, He's spending time with those who are hated by God, and he spends his time with tax collectors having dinner with them. By the time he reaches Luke 19, you see the tax collector like Levi in their society, in their status structure, Levi is worse than a blind man. Levi is worse than the leper who's cast out. They hate tax collectors. So when their boss, the big boss, Zacchaeus, shows up, you need to understand the Don Corleone, old Zac, is the scourge traitor of all traitors. He has made a killing on the backs of his own brother, and he is considered less valuable and more offensive than the blind or the demon-possessed of their day. You with me? So, first point. As much as it says that little old Zacchaeus runs along and tries to get into a tree to see Jesus, okay? Uh, you need to understand the tree, I guess. That would be important. It says it's a fig tree or a sycamore. A fig, I used to have a fig in my front yard. Fig trees have a huge trunk and a base, but you've got to take the whole picture of a, like a southern oak out of your mind. That's not what this is. This is a fig tree that has a massive center and its branches grow from the bottom up. So like they grow like this. And this one apparently was super tall because Jesus says come down. 
The reason it's important that he was so small was because an average man or a bigger man could never fit between those branches with their massive leaves and the fruit they bear. A small man might be able to slide between and get in the center of said tree, climb up so he can peer through. The other reason you want to know that he's a short man is because he has a short stature but a huge status. You see, Zacchaeus was small. And without his thugs around him, without his bodyguards, he's susceptible to death in a, in a mob that you've been cheating your whole life. He's, he is susceptible to a mutiny as a mass of people are coming through Jericho on their way to Jerusalem to pilgrimage for Passover. And a massive people have come because of Jesus of Nazareth. And just like all those people who want to see what he'll do next, Zacchaeus is curious too. So he runs ahead. He can't see over the crowd. What he's doing inside the tree is not just trying to see Jesus. He's trying to hide from the crowd. He's trying to duck in here and let these massive leaves camouflage him so he can peer out and hopefully just get a glance with his naked eye at Jesus. But as much as we see him try to pursue Jesus, point number one, it's Jesus who's seeking Zacchaeus. It says that he had to come through Jericho. It says that he ran ahead, climbed in the sycamore fig tree, and since Jesus was coming that way, stopped. When Jesus reached the spot, verse 5, what spot? That divine spot that God the Father was directing him to. As he's walking and strolling along, he hits that fig tree and stops. No one else can see him. If Zacchaeus has done well, no one else knows he's there. He's completely covered. But Jesus knows he is. He stops and calls him by name. They have never had an interaction before. First shot. Jesus calls him by name. Now, Zacchaeus has a huge status. Old Zac, as I like to call him, old Zac was like Don Corleone. He had a rep in the area. So that reputation may have preceded him, and that's how Jesus knows. But we also have learned through Mark in his ministry that Jesus doesn't need to know your reputation, know what you're thinking. He can perceive your thoughts from afar before you even say a word. And so he knows precisely where old Zacchaeus is. And he knows precisely why he's there. How many of you have ever read... Though I make my bed in Hades, I cannot hide from you. Though I make my bed in the heavens, I cannot escape your presence. How many of you have ever tried to hide from Jesus before? It's not, he's great at hide and seek. It's impossible. He turns and calls by name Zacchaeus, come down at once, come down immediately, for I must, that word must is D-E-I in the original language, that word is pronounced day, it means divine necessity. I am here by God's orders, divine necessity has brought me to here, I must stay at your house. Now, this is blowing the whole thing up right here, that statement alone. Because you've got to imagine, here's Zacchaeus hiding in this bush, thinking everyone else is unawares of his 
of his presence. Because if they had known he was present and he doesn't have bodyguards with him, it's death for him. But he calls him out by name, Jesus, Don Corleone. You have to imagine this picture. This is like the Pope deciding to have a sleepover at the Godfather's house. Okay? That's this picture. A mass of people following him. And he stops and says, I must spend the night with you. The, forget back to Luke 5 where he's just eating with sinners. Now he's going to be a guest of said sinner. A sinner that no one visits and he, they don't invite over. It's no one goes to this guy's house. His only friends are paid. Hello? He has no friends. He is the traitor of traitors. He sits amongst the sinners. He is the worst, worse than demon-possessed, and he gets called out by Jesus in front of everyone, exposing his hiding position. And he says, I am compelled by God to stay with you. Second point, Jesus stays with Zacchaeus. It says that Zacchaeus received him gladly in the text. Verse 6, he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Well, the reason he did was because of this. Because of his status, because of Zacchaeus' status, he was, unwill he was unlawfully allowed to go to worship. He was unwelcome in the synagogue. If he tried to show up at this, they'd throw him out. You understand? He couldn't testify in open court. He was considered untrustworthy. Traitor to the traitors, he's a liar. We can't take his testimony on anything. So he's not allowed in the synagogue. He's not allowed in civil or public court. He is cast off. And he just sits on his house on the hill making money hand over fist, negotiating contracts for the little moquez of Jerusalem who, who are being overrun by Rome. And he's aiding abetting aiding and abetting Rome's takeover of the entire land of Israel, the promised land. He's helping in the entire process. He is unwelcome in synagogue. He'd be cast out. He responds gladly because this is the first rabbi. This is the first religious figure, religious leader who says, not only have I come here, I came here for you. Not only have I come, I'm coming to stay with you. I'm going to push everyone else aside. Look at this mass of people following me. I am here for you alone. I called you by name. And he says, I am going to stay, not just eat, with you. This is huge. I mean, he's going to gladly receive because for the first time, someone who's of any religious importance actually wants to spend time with him. He's not being cast off. He's not being denied his, his bloodline, his actual religion. Remember, salvation first comes to the Jew and then the Gentile. Though he sold his soul to the Gentiles, to Rome, to make cash, money, Matthew 6, serve God or serve stuff. He's been serving stuff, but he still wants to practice like a Jew. He is denied that ability. Until this, till this moment for the first time, someone wants to spend time with me. And here's the thing. Jesus takes his entire life into his hands by doing it. 
calling this man out in front of everyone, do you think, do you think that if we saw the Pope or Billy Graham or what, some other evangelical, I'll use that word, giant, decide to have a sleepover with the head of the mob, do you think he might lose a little clout? Do you think people might go, what is his intention? Jesus is taking his own life in his hands. And if you notice at this point, the Pharisees have a narrative going all the way back to before Luke 5. He's not super popular. They already want to kill him. And now it says that he's going to stay with the sinner. And verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter because of the Pharisees, he's gone to be the guest or housemate or sleepover of a sinner. The worst of the worst, the worst of traitors, the Godfather. He puts his life on the line for Zacchaeus, right here in front of everyone. Now, the beauty is that between seven and eight, the verses, we do not have a sermon of repentance. We do not have anything, we have no directive of what was said between the two of them. We don't. But what we do have in verse 7 and preceded by 6 and 5 is that he calls Zacchaeus by name. He puts his own life on the line. He's willing to go spend time with the worst of the worst. And Zacchaeus in verse 8 has a response. It says, verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up. Now, third point. Jesus saves Zacchaeus. He stood up. Why, did he, why does it matter that those two words are there, stood up? Well, because most people, if you remember, even his own disciples cowered in Jesus' presence. Even when he caused the waves to obey, those men hit their knees and worshipped him in humility. This, this Zacchaeus is just so proud, maybe a little dumb, that he stands up. He stands up because Jesus first took a stand for him. He stands up, and the first words out of his mouth are imperative. The first word specifically is so important. Why? Because Zacchaeus, the big boss, who just happens to be kind of short, probably doesn't weigh much if he's sitting inside a fig tree. The big boss says this, Lord, I'm done bossing. I'm done being the boss. I'm done being the godfather. I'm done with this life. I'm done with it. You are boss. That's what Lord means, boss, your boss. Like I'll be subservient to you. Everyone else has served me. I'm putting myself low to you and I'll do whatever you ask. In fact, of all my possessions, look, I'll give half right now to the most needy. Those who you serve and spend time with, the leper, the blind, the people that everyone else said was hated by God, but yet, you know what? They said, I'm hated by God and you're here in my house. Here you are pursuing me, wanting to spend time with me. You're staying with me. You're abiding with me. So I'll give whatever. I'll give half of my possessions right now to those who need it the most. And guess what? If there's anyone that I've cheated, anyone, I'll pay them back four times. Let me ask you a question. Who had he not cheated? <laughs> what is he saying? I'm going to give it all away. 
because you gave it all away for me. You literally had, could have had your ministry and your teaching ministry ended right there. That mob could have formed a mutiny and taken your life right there, and you took that risk for me. I'm going to stand up and say, everything I have, it's not worth it. It didn't fulfill me. I don't have peace in it. I don't have pleasure in it. I want to give it to those who need it most. And anyone that I've cheated, any brother that I've stolen from, anyone that I've ruined, I'm paying back four times. I want to be a blessing to them. Listen to this. We say that Jesus saves Zacchaeus because it says it here. But look at the life change. You have the extortionist become the philanthropist within two verses. You have the extortionist, the thief, who only knows to selfishly take for himself, become the philanthropist who only seeks to give it all away. Just because he came face to face with Jesus. How does that happen? How do you see someone who has built their entire reputation, their entire status, their entire life as a thief who has only gotten ahead on the backs of others come to the place by encountering and allowing Jesus to impact them by his love compelling him so much to pursue them and take his own life into his own hands, risking everything. How does that love compel someone else who is a thief in the traitor of traitors, hated by his own brother, seek to turn in a moment and be a blessing to his brother? Blessing four times over. That that is what it looks like when we truly allow the ministry of Jesus to change us. That's what it looks like to go from lost to saved. It says, today salvation has come to the house because this man too is a son of Abraham. That's important. Why would, what would the rest of Judaism look at him as? He had sold his soul to Rome for money. He was unable lawfully to go to synagogue. They had cast him out as non-Jewish. First, salvation comes to the Jew and then the Gentile. He's saying, no, he's a son of Abraham. He's one of mine. I was sent by God because God loves him so much. I was compelled to come and under divine necessity, spend time with him over everyone else here. He's a son of Abraham. But today, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And now he's child of God. Even more than son of Abraham. He is son of God. Hello? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have had Jesus impact your life so much so that that's the kind of change that happened dramatically? The person you were is unrecognizable to the person that you are. Because the truth is clinging to status can be a barrier to our own salvation. Even, even our own sanctification, becoming like him. Is it, in fact, your barrier? I've had to ask myself this question all week. Is it my barrier? You see, neither Tyler at the top or Zacchaeus in this text were willing to allow status to stand in their way. Thus, they put down their desire for status and lost it all for the sake of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was willing to lose it all for them, to lose it all for me, to lose it all for you. So will we? Would we rather cling to status? Because you have to imagine, you have to imagine what Zacchaeus has given up here. People revere him. They hate him, but they revere him. Would, be we, would we be willing to give up the name we've built for ourselves? 
to cling to Jesus? Is your own status your barrier to your own salvation? Possibly to your own sanctification. Sanctification is a word that means that we're becoming like him. It's kind of like Paul prayed that less of me and more of you. That people see me become more the philanthropist, the one who wants to give it away, the generous, versus the one who just takes. See, in my nature, I want to admit to you, like, I'm not so holy. In my flesh, I'd much rather take. Hello? Maybe just me. But it's confession time. In my flesh, I'd much rather rob, steal, and pillage. I'd rather take for myself than give. Because I'm taught in a world, just do it, right? You can't trust anybody. you got to look out for number one. And who's number one? And it was just as true in Jesus and Zacchaeus' day as it is in ours. We have to be willing to put down the barrier of status and building names to ourselves, even if we've been walking with Jesus since we were children. It says, you cannot be my disciple unless you daily come to the cross and follow me. Daily crucify your desires. Daily take your tendencies to extortion other people to take from them. And become the giver. Because I was willing to give it all. I desire my church to be just as generous. You see, we are a body made up of a ton of individuals who have come face to face with Jesus, maybe right now is your moment. And the way we respond to that kind of love, that kind of generosity, when he would love us when no one else would, when he made a way when there was no other way, the way we respond changes everything. It may be for salvation. It may be for sanctification. But let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever said to yourself, because I know I have, I mean, I know I'm not good, But if he can save that dude, I mean, he can save anybody, right? If he can spend the night at Don Corleone's house and allow salvation to come, put his neck out on the line, be willing to give it all, give his life up to say that I want to be identified with him, to seek him out, to stay with him, and to save him, if he can do that, In his life, he can do that in yours. He can do it in mine. And this morning, even, listen, if you're here and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, then there are people here, they'll be right here at this altar. I'm one of them. Would love to talk to you about that. But if you're here and you go, I've been walking with Jesus forever, but let 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 me just say something. I've been walking with Jesus for a really long time as his disciple. Okay, how have you grown? Do you look like Zacchaeus willing to pay four times over to the people that you've robbed and hurt? Does your life dramatically look like that? Or maybe you've lost your first love a little bit and you've forgotten how important Jesus was and so you've been clinging to status more naturally a little bit than you have been him. You don't have to train yourself to cling to your natural tendencies as a thief. Hello? But we do have to train ourselves to depend on Jesus and remember his love that compelled us to give it all because he gave it all for us.